Good morning, everyone. Awesome to see each and every one of you today, and thank you so much to everyone that's tuning in online. Good morning to you as well. You know, uh, if your coffee hasn't fully awakened you yet, and mine has because of a, a, a gracious gift from Dan and Kayla today, they brought me a nice mocha from Starbucks, thank you, um, then surely the thought of his love that is high and wide and deep and knows no boundaries, hopefully that will awaken your hearts today as well. So the love of God and a little bit of caffeine, why not? All right. Here we go.
share a little bit of scripture with you and then a little bit of uh, commentary about it. So in Acts uh, chapter 17, the Apostle Paul said, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And if we go back to the very, very beginning of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. Say that with me. In the beginning, God. That's right. God answers to no one. He is never caught off guard. His plans are never hijacked by the enemy. He doesn't get anxious. He doesn't feel threatened. He's never had to campaign for his position for ruler of the universe. He won't be up for re-election in 2024. 
His plans will not be changed or shaken or broken. And that is why we can call him the one true God. in the dark, a song that lights up the stars, one breath that gives life, one sovereign empire, who speaks with thunder and fire,
Amen, indeed. Well, folks, before we, uh, we, we have an, a, a new song we're going to introduce to you in, in just a few moments. But before we do that, let's take a few seconds to greet the folks around us, and we'll continue with our worship in just a second. Thank you. folks let's make our way back to our seats we're going to continue our worship right now and uh, before we uh, start this next song joy has a few words to share about it so it's good to see everybody today i'm so glad you're here 
Um, we're doing a brand new song today, and this song has just really become a prayer um, in my life, and I hope it'll become a prayer in your life too. Um, my, my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. And what I love about the verse is that the first three parts of this verse is our part. Like, we have a decision to make. So the first part, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And my question to all of us today is, where does God want us to trust him? It's a choice. If we want to trust in the Lord or trust in ourselves or trust in the world or whatever. The second part says, lean not on your own understanding. And what God is telling us is that there will be times we don't understand. And I don't know what is happening in your life today, but maybe there's something you just don't understand. And God says, we're not supposed to understand it. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. It goes back to the first part. He says, trust in me when you don't understand. The third part of that says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And that's our part. So whatever you're facing today, I want to encourage you, honor God in every part of it. Whatever you're facing, even if you don't understand, acknowledge God in every part of it. And the last part is God's part. And he says, he'll make our path straight. And he didn't say, I'll make everything perfect. <laughs> what he said was that I will direct your path. And what I love about God's word is it's so instructional. Like, trust me. Don't trust yourself. Acknowledge me, and I'll show you what to do. <laughs> and that's, that's our life, right? <laughs> and so this song today... It's called Nothing I Hold On To. And what I love about this song is it's literally a prayer. So when you're singing it, I just want to encourage you, sing it to God. Because that's what worship is. This song is a song we're not supposed to sing to people. We are singing this to God, and it's a song of surrender. Like if there's something we're saying, no, God, you can't have that. He's saying, surrender. Because he wants us to trust him, even when we don't understand. So I just want to encourage you, sing that this is a brand new song. I want to encourage you, just sing it to God. A song of surrender, it's called Nothing I Hold On To. Yeah. 
God, whatever we don't understand, we lay at your feet and we trust you today. And we want to acknowledge you and whatever we're facing today and honor you in it, even when we don't understand, because you're good. So we praise you. We worship you, God. You're worthy of it. We lift up your name today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Okay. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? You doing okay? All right, all right. I am too. Uh, I, actually, I'm probably doing better than okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I love that song. I love the song we just sang. I don't know about you guys, but I just, I love that song. And I love that idea that God can make something beautiful out of me. That God can make something beautiful out of you. I believe that. Do you believe that? I really do. I really believe that God wants to make something beautiful out of you, and I think he wants to make something beautiful out of me. 
And uh, it, it's like, um, it reminds me a little bit of Philippians 1.6 that says, um, it says that now to him, he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That God is doing a good work in you. He's doing a good work in me. And God's never going to give up on you. Did you know that? He will never, never, never give up. I just, I find comfort in that. And that what God has begun in you and what God has begun in me, he is going to carry through to, to completion, even until the day of Christ Jesus, when Jesus comes again. And so for me, I, I look at my life and I, I think, you know, there are things, you know, in, in, it's like sometimes I have in this hand, maybe I have uh, an area of pain or frustration or disappointment. And over here, I have an area of just joy and gratitude and you know, it's like life is never all good or all bad. In any and every moment, most of us, we're going through life, and there's a mixture of good and bad. But the really exciting thing is, is that God can take the good and the bad, and he can make it better. That he is doing a good work in us, that he's going to carry through today of Christ Jesus. That was my first sermon. My second sermon is going to be on the book of James, all right? Uh, hey, uh, I've got something, uh, most of you are already aware of this, but uh, I'm going to announce it again. I get to do that because I'm the pastor. I love this. Uh, we have great news. We have great news. Our daughter is getting married. Yeah, Sean Franklin, her boyfriend, proposed to her on Friday. This is hilarious. Okay, this is hilarious. First of all, uh, I, I say this in the most respectful and in the most endearing way, uh, is that, that uh, Sean is a, an engineering nerd, okay? He loves to take things apart, figure out how they work, or take something that doesn't work at all and figure out how to make it work. He is an inventor. He is a builder. He's so many other things. I mean, he's like really, really smart. He is, I mean, he's an aerospace engineer, okay, um, from UC Davis, all right? And so he's an overcomer. He is an overcomer. He's one of the most disciplined people I know, but not stuffy, rigid, all right? So he's very, very disciplined. He is very hardworking, uh, and he is a let's get it done now kind of guy. That's the way he is. So, so it's really funny is... So he's been working on building a parachute. Now, one of the things that, that, that Sean does as part of his employment is he works a lot with drones. And they build drones, and they figure out how to operate them in, in really unique and different kinds of, of ways and stuff like that. So that's what he does by trade. And he owns his own drone, which he runs his own little personal business out of as well. So he's building this, he's building this parachute. Okay, He's building a parachute for his drone. And I'm like, well... Uh, you know, why? Why is he building a parachute? Because he's always building something, all right? That's just the way he is. So on, on Sunday afternoon, uh, on Sunday afternoon, uh, Joy had this brilliant idea. We had just finished this group, Vertical Marriage, that we've been doing with a number of couples from our church and a few couples in our community and, and friends of ours. And we've been doing this, this uh, group on how to really have a stronger, healthier uh, marriage. And so... Uh, we finished up week five, which is all the content, uh, last week. And so after that, we're coming here for revival prayer. And uh, as we are on our way here, Joy's like, I wonder if he's building that parachute to propose to Cass. And I'm like, this is me, all right? Okay, 
uh, I know this is your hallmark moment, but, you know, don't want to, you know, I don't want to just, you know, pow, 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 shoot out the parachute idea and stuff like that. But, you know, Sean is his own guy. He's going to propose in his own way, in his own time. Don't put expectations on him. So that's me. So uh, Joy gets to, for the rest of our lives, say, <laughs> because those of you, if you, how many of y'all have seen the, has anybody seen the video? You know that he proposed by using the parachute, okay? He, he dropped the little ring out of the sky. We're just glad it didn't blow over to the next county. Uh, but uh, Cass is really excited it didn't blow to the next county. And so, so for the rest of our lives, Joyce gets to say, hey, I was right. <laughs> so uh, it was really, really good. So um, what Sean told us on Monday, he said, you know, I wanted to finish the vertical marriage group first before I asked you, but I would like your blessing to ask Cassidy to marry me. And, of course, Joy and I were like, absolutely. And, in you know, just to say this about Sean, I'm sorry, I know this isn't about me, and it's not about Sean. It's not about, uh, about the, you know, the being engaged and getting married and stuff. But, but uh, you know, Sean, like I said, he is a get-it-done-now kind of guy. So he wanted to get the group done. And, um, and, and so uh, he gets the uh, – I'm sorry, I'm lost in my own ideas here. Okay, let's just say I'm excited. Is that okay? All right. So if it don't make sense the rest of the morning, just, you know. Uh, but, yeah, we're just like, uh, this is what I was going to say, is that I have met a lot of young men through the years, okay? And more than one of them have had a crush on my daughter, okay? All the way back to elementary school, there have been some kids who've wanted to marry my daughter. I'm like, no, you can't. You're six and she's five. Uh, but, you know, there have always been these young men and, uh, but Sean's, he's the first young man I've ever wanted to introduce as my son-in-law. I, I've actually found myself on occasions talking to people wanting to call Sean, Sean, my son-in-law. And now I get to do it. So we're super excited. Uh, as I said, he's a get it done guy. He doesn't believe in long engagement. So he says, you know, uh, I want to marry her and I don't want to, I want to do it now. I don't want to put it off. She's the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. So they are getting married at the end of October. So yeah, yeah. So really, really, really excited. Um, you know, I, I, uh, another thing real quick, I just want to highlight this very quickly. You know, I believe that one of the things that makes our church special is I do believe there's a special kind of love, care, and concern that you have for one another. This, for me, is one of my delights as a pastor. And so on uh, this Friday, we're doing Picnic in the Park. It's just a time to get together, have fun, build connection. I think a lot of our connection was disrupted through COVID, and, and we really need to get back to doing the things that we used to do well. Not that we don't love each other well, but just mixing, mingling, building our connections. So that's going to be this Friday, I think, Later in the announcements, we're going to talk more about that. So just want to put that in front of you. All right, real quick. So we're looking at the book of James. Uh, we're looking at the book of James. And, and uh, this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to read for you two different passages of Scripture. Uh, we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture. And, and uh, we're, 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 but just so real quick, so we're all on the same page here. James was the half-brother of Jesus, all right? He was the half-brother of Jesus. He was, next to Peter, the most important leader in the church in Jerusalem. He had 
Uh, he was a man who was highly expect, uh, uh, respected by the Apostle Paul, but many others because of his influence. And not just because he was the brother of Jesus, but because he was just a powerful leader. And, um, and he wrote to group Jewish Christians. This is called the Book of James. It's wisdom literature, New Testament wisdom. And he wrote to Jewish Christians who were scattered among the nations, different parts of the Roman Empire, scattered, scattered. Are you with me here? Scattered, not like me, okay? But scattered, why? Persecution. Persecution. You read about it in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death. In Acts chapter 8, it says that many were scattered, same word, because of the persecution that broke out in connection with the stoning of Stephen. And so the people he's writing to in the book of James were the very people who had been a part of the original congregation there in Jerusalem. It'd be kind of like through the years we've had a lot of people who've been a part of our church who've moved to other parts of the world. It'd be like me sending out a message to people who've been a part of our church uh, in were an important part of our past. In a very, very important part of what God is doing in other parts of the world. So what happened was when these Jewish Christians scattered, they began to tell other people about Jesus. Isn't that exciting? That's what you do. When you're persecuted, what you do, when you're persecuted because of your faith, your belief in Jesus, what you do when you're persecuted is you boldly tell people about Jesus. You do not become a slave of fear. Fear is a horrible master. Jesus is a wonderful master. And so these were people who were telling people about Jesus, and those people were coming to know Jesus as well. And so James is writing to the very people who had been a part of his congregation, scattered among the nations, and he was writing to the people who had become believers through them. That's who James is writing to. James has written probably the very first book in the New Testament. It is written somewhere between 45, 48 A.D., was written probably about 15 years after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that gives you context. Context. Context is important. We always want to understand the text of Scripture in its context. Secondly, we always want to understand Scripture with Scripture. Okay? The reason we have so many different kinds of interpretations sometimes of Scripture is because people don't interpret it in a disciplined way. You interpret Scripture first, the text by its context, but you also interpret Scripture with Scripture. That's why we're going to read two different portions of Scripture this morning. First Scripture is this, Genesis chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to open up to this, uh, to Genesis chapter 3. We're all the way back at the very beginning of creation. God creates the heavens and the earth. Okay? He creates the heavens and the earth, and the high point of God's creation is humanity. The Bible tells us that God made us male and female, and he created us in the image of God. In chapter 2, and it's very interesting. I want you to see this, hear this from me before I read Genesis 3. When you read through Genesis 1, what do you read? God said, let there be, and there was. And then the Bible says this, God saw that it was good. You know how many times the Bible says that? Seven times. God saw that it was good. Everything that God created was good. By the way, is everything good in creation today? No. Genesis 3 tells us why. 
In Genesis chapter 2, very interesting line in Genesis chapter 2. God has made the man, but has not yet made the woman. And God says this, it is not good. Remember how God saw all that he created and it was good? In chapter 2, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, a perfect fit for him, perfect match. Okay, that's what the, the Bible tells us. And so God makes the woman. This brings us to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent, the serpent, the devil, Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the serpent was more crafty, deceitful, crafty, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit uh, from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you'll die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will certainly not die. You're not really going to die. You can't really trust what God says to you. You're not really going to die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. You can't trust God. You can't trust God. He's trying to keep something from you. That's the word of Satan. You can't trust God when he says, no, you can't do that. No, that's not right. That's not healthy. That's not holy. That's not good. You can't really trust God. That's the word of Satan, the word of the serpent. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then verse 6, it says this. When the woman saw, when the woman what? Interesting word, isn't it? It is if you read, if you were a Hebrew reading through the book of Genesis, you would immediately look at this and say, oh, Look, the word saw, that's the exact same word that's used over and over again in Genesis chapter 1. That's what you would do as an ancient Hebrew. You immediately saw this. You immediately understood this. You didn't need someone like me to explain it to you. First of all, you were a Hebrew, so you knew Hebrew, all right? Uh, You would have immediately saw, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was what? It was good. Oh, wait, wait a second. Because, see, everything that God made... God sees that it is good. But what happens here is it's not God's seeing. It's the woman's seeing. And she's seeing something as good that God has said is not good. That's the essence of all temptation. Seeing something as good that really isn't good. Okay? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, good for food, pleasing, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. See, all temptation comes down to this. It comes to seeing something as good, seeing something as desirable, seeing something as pleasing. That God has said is not good. See, that is the essence of all temptation. I could stop right there. And and you would know a major part of what the Bible teaches about temptation. 
but it would be somewhat incomplete. So let's pick up on what the Bible continues to teach us about temptation. We read a lot of stuff. We read about the temptation of David to take a woman who was not his wife against her will, the will of her husband, and to have sex with her, and then have her husband murdered. There was temptation. Throughout the Bible, you read about temptation over and over and over again. And then we get to this book in James where we get some more instruction. So we're going to look at James chapter 1, uh, beginning of verse 13. And I'm going to read first verses 13 through 18. When tempted, by the way, anybody ever feel temptation? Okay, I saw a couple hands kind of went up like this. Yeah. Okay, yeah, me too. All right, you're not alone. All right, me too. I saw your hand there. Uh, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change uh, like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's pray, and then let's kind of dig into this if we can, all right? God, uh, first of all, what we want to do is we want to acknowledge you. We want to praise and worship you, because you are the creator of all things, and you made all things good. But God, we also want to acknowledge that sometimes we see things as good, we see things as desirable, we see things as pleasing to the eye that you tell us aren't good, but we see it as good. And we feel enticed by it. We sometimes feel drug away by it. Lord, my, my prayer today is that you would give us eyes to see what your word says, that you would give us ears to hear what your word says, that you would give us hearts to understand what your word says. I pray, God, that today we will humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. God, help us to see where we're making excuses and blaming you and others for our sin. And Lord, help us to see the gospel, the good news of how you want to save us in this text. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. So, um, you know, one of the things I really struggle with, okay, I'm going to just kind of open up. I'm going to be an open book with you, okay? Uh, I, know, I know most of you, if I asked you what is one of your temptations and you were up here, you may not be as ready. So I'm just going to go first and share my temptation first, okay? One of the things I really, really struggle with, temptation-wise, one of the things I really, really struggle with it's Cocoa Krispies. I do. Rudy's laughing at me. You are too. But I do. I mean, like, if, if Joy goes to the grocery store and she buys... Heck, I struggle with life cereal. I do. I struggle with Wheaties, man. I ate three bowls the other day. Then I was disappointed. They were all gone. All right? It's like, you know, cold cereal for me, I'll be honest with you, it is like... You know, I don't know. I, I've never been a crack addict, but I can only imagine if, if what he struggles with is what I struggle with. I'm like, you know, I have a, I, I have some compassion for that guy because I know what that feels like. 
you know, I, you know the old saying, just say no, you know? I don't know. That's such a stupid, trite little phrase. Uh, you know, sometimes just saying no is one of the hardest things in the world to do, isn't it? I mean, at least it is for me. You know, if I have a box of Cocoa Krispies in front of me, the just say no thing, man, I will empty that box, all right? I will. I'll just, if it's there and I've got a gallon of milk, just understand that when you come back later, you know, there's going to be like three drops left in the milk carton, you know. If, if there is a Cocoa Krispie that's left in the box, I will fight you for it, all right? It's just me, all right? But I struggle with temptation. And the truth is, all of us struggle with temptation. We do. And we struggle with temptation about all kinds of things. And sometimes the things that we struggle with temptation with, we're just kind of ashamed to talk about it, to admit it and confess it with other people. Because we don't know around us who is really safe. We don't know who's going to shame us. Well, you shouldn't struggle with that. It's like it's easy for them to say you shouldn't struggle with that because it's not their struggle. Let's talk about what your struggle is. You know, I always want to take the person who's saying, oh, you shouldn't struggle with that. You shouldn't be angry. You know, you shouldn't be anxious. I, I, I always want to take that person and just say, okay, well, what is it you struggle with? And be real. You know, I just kind of like, I want to grab that person, shake them, all right? So let me, okay, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry for wanting to shake people. The truth is we all struggle, don't we? So I struggle with Cocoa Krispies. Some people, they struggle really with greed. They do. They really struggle with greed. They struggle with materialism. They struggle with looking for their security in their their investments. Some people really struggle with being more attached to worldly possessions than they are to their heavenly father. They struggle with that. Some people, they struggle less with greed, but they struggle more with lust. Sexual compromise of all kinds. You know, it's very interesting. Anytime we talk about sex, it's always easy to talk about the kinds of sexuality that we don't struggle with. But we're really kind of like afraid to talk about the ones we do struggle with. But we struggle with sexual temptation. By the way, sex is a very good thing. I just want to make sure I get this set. Sex is a very good thing. It's a gift from God. It is. It's a good thing. And it's to be celebrated in the context that God has given us. That I touched on earlier. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Sex or lust can be a struggle. Another struggle that we can have is envy. Envy. You know what envy is? It's when I resent how God has blessed another person. So, okay, this, this, okay. Every once in a while, I'll have a friend of mine who's in ministry, and someone gives their church a building outright. I've had this happen several times where a friend of mine, I, there's a friend of mine who pastors a church up in Eureka Springs, and, and God uh, gave their church a building free and clear. Man gave them this building free and clear. And I was talking to Nathan about it, and he says, you know, the funny thing, Gary, is I wasn't even praying for it. And I'm like, wait a second, I've been praying for 20 years. How come it happened to you? I guess God heard my prayers, and, you know, he said, well, it's... But, you know, it's like, it's like I, if I'm not careful, I can be envious about how God has blessed another person instead of being grateful for how God has blessed me. By the way, I am the richest man in the world. I am. I am, like, hugely blessed. I, I just, I look and I think, you know, my wife, my kids, my, 
my life, I just look and I see God's hand on my life in so many ways, and I am so blessed. But it's easy for me to look and see something that God has blessed someone else with and forget about all the ways God has blessed me and become envious. That's exactly what envy does. We begin to resent the blessing of God in another person's life while forgetting to think about, acknowledge, and be grateful for the way God has blessed us. Uh, another thing that people often struggle with is, I've already touched on it, but overeating. Uh, another one is anger, okay? Now, some people say, well, I'm, I'm not angry. Yeah, okay. What about unforgiveness? What about resentment? What about being impatient and unkind with other, other people who think or believe differently? Uh, another struggle that many people have is laziness. Now, this, I'm gonna, guys, I'm going to speak to you about this for a moment, okay? Men, men, I'm talking to you, all right? Every man in this room who thinks you're hardworking, I'm talking to you right now, all right? Oftentimes, I've seen in men is they can be super diligent in their career and in their job and in their work. But they are spiritually lazy in being a spiritual leader in their home. They become spiritually lazy in how they read the scriptures and how they pray. They would never call themselves lazy. In fact, they would be insulted. They would even be angry if you suggested that they were slothful or lazy. And, and sometimes what happens is we can be very, very diligent and disciplined in, in several areas and be very undisciplined, slothful, lazy in another area. See, sloth, when we think of sloth, a lot of us say, that's not my problem. Because we point at someone else where we see it maybe in their work, their idle hands. But sometimes sloth looks like, how am I investing in my, my walk with Jesus? Am I diligently invested in my walk with Jesus? And, and, and so, so, but that can be a temptation. Another kind of temptation is um, the person who says, you know what? I haven't struggled with anything that Gary has named yet this morning. That's because your temptation is pride. <laughs> Self-righteousness, all right? But the, the, the thing is here is when I share these things, please, if, if you feel like I'm shaming you, I apologize. That's not what God hasn't called me to proclaim moralism. He's called me to proclaim Jesus. But what I want you to understand is that we all struggle with temptation. I have heard men before say, that's not my struggle. I remember taking a group of guys many years ago to a Promise Keepers conference. It was in Fresno. And in this group, one of the guys had kind of opened up and shared with me some of his own personal struggles. And, um, and it was in this area of sex. And the speaker was speaking about this that night. And I remember as we walked away from the conference that night, I remember one of the men in our group saying, oh, I'm sure glad that's not my struggle. And I was thinking to myself, here is this other person who has struggled with this, and God is working in his life. And it's so interesting is at that conference that weekend, my friend with the struggle came to know Jesus. The one who didn't struggle walked away from God. His family was destroyed. It's like sometimes 
we don't want to admit that we struggle, but we do. So the point today is this, is that, yes, we all struggle. Um, but let me just share with you four thoughts if I can. Okay, four thoughts from this text, and I'll try to make this as clear as I can. Number one, do not think when you're feeling tempted, do not think that God is tempting you. Okay? Don't think that way. Well, why do I say this? Well, in, in, in verse 13 it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You know, in, in this verse, in this verse, it, it's right there on the screen. Okay, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And, and there are two words I want you to circle if you've got your Bible open. You might want to circle these two words. The words are for and the word is nor. For and nor. The reason that you should not say, God is the one who's tempting me, is because of the for and the nor. See, see, we shouldn't say that God is tempting us. Why? Because God cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot be tempted by evil, that his character, the reason we should never say that we're being tempted by God is because of his character, who he is. For God is untemptable. That's literally the Greek word there for cannot be tempted is literally untemptable. For God is untemptable, nor, nor, so, nor does he tempt anyone. See, we see the character of God. We see the conduct of God. God is untemptable, and he doesn't tempt others. You know, some of you are like, okay, let me just say it this way. God made me that way. God made me that way. Have you ever heard that before? Sometimes when people don't want to repent of their sin, they say, God made me that way. God made me that way. He did. He made me with with that desire for Cocoa Krispies. It's God's fault. Well, when I was a kid, I never blamed God for my temptations. I didn't. But let me tell you who got the blame a lot was the devil. All right? I know a lot of you think it was uh, Flip Wilson who came up with the line, the devil made me do it. Uh, No, I came up with that before he did. All right? In the 60s, when I was a little boy, I'd get in trouble. My mom would come to me, and we'd have a little conversation, which since I got a spanking, all right? We'd have a little conversation, and and she would talk to me about what I'd done wrong. And I'd say, the devil made me do it. This is what my mom would always tell me. Tell the devil to leave you alone. But as a little boy, I'd always blame the devil. Okay, it was real easy. You know, he's a bad guy anyway, all right? But it's very interesting. Part of the reason why I wanted to read from you from Genesis chapter 3 is when you read in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sin, God comes searching for them in the garden. That's what God does with lost people. He goes searching for them. He goes searching for them. What does God do? What does the shepherd do with the lost sheep? He goes and searches for the lost sheep. What does Jesus say about himself? I came to seek and to save the lost. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God goes seeking, searching to save the lost with Adam and Eve in the garden. And God comes to Adam and he says, um, well, first he comes to, to, to Eve and he says, or no, no, he comes to Adam first. He says, uh, he says uh, 
did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And this is what Adam says. Adam says, well, you know, it's really not my fault. It's really not my fault, God. It's not my fault. The woman, the woman, you gave me, gave to me, and I ate. It's not my fault. The woman you gave me, gave it to me, and I ate. This is what people do when they don't want to repent of their sin, is they find a way to blame another, the woman. Or they want to find a way to blame God, the, the woman you gave me. They don't want to take risks. Do not think that God is tempting you. Second thing I want you to see in the, the text of Scripture is this, is that recognize both the source and the course of temptation. This is important. Well, it's all important. It's the Bible, okay? Uh, that's kind of obvious. It's kind of stupid to say that, all right? But um, what I want you to see is I want you to see the source and the course of temptation. First of all, the, 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 the source, verse 14, each person is tempted when they're dragged away. You see those words? Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. By the word, that word translated here, evil desire, is epithumia. Epithumia. Okay? Word, it's used a lot in the Bible. Okay? So if you've never heard me use this word before, you'll probably hear it again in the future. But it's used a lot. And epithumia is not always evil desire. Epithumia means just intense, very, very intense desire. In fact, Paul uses this exact same word, epithemia, to speak of his desire to go and be with Christ. He talks about, you know, to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know, it would be much better to die and go be with the Lord, but, but it's better for other people that I stay and I serve Jesus. Well, when he talks about the desire to go and be with the Lord, the word he uses is apathemia. It just means intense desire. Okay? So let's go back to food. Is it wrong to desire food? No. No. But when I become consumed by my desire for food in a way that's not healthy and holy for me, like Cocoa Krispies, where I just kind of want to eat Box after box. See, see, Joy never buys me Cocoa Krispies, and that's a good thing. All right? It just makes dealing with it a whole lot easier. But, but the, the source of temptation doesn't come from above. The source of temptation comes from within. It's my epithumia. That's the source, okay? So, and then the course of, the course of, 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 uh, uh, of temptation. So I'm wanting you to recognize the source and the course of temptation. And, and we see the course in verse 15. Then after desire has conceived. Okay, so this is using kind of, uh, uh, it, it's, by the way, a lot of the words that are used here have a sexual connotation, just so you're aware of that, all right? I'm not the first person to see this. Tim Keller talks a lot about it. There are a lot of other Bible commentaries, uh, you know, Bible scholars, theologians. They, they all, uh, but many of the words are, uh, have kind of a sexual overtone. And, and, but here it talks about uh, after uh, desire has conceived. So you have that word desire, conception. So just think about man and woman, desire, conception, okay? After 
uh, desire has conceived, it gives birth. You see the course here? Desire, conception, birth. It gives birth to, uh-oh, a very ugly baby. All right? It gives birth to the ugliest baby you've ever seen. All right? I know you're not supposed to call babies ugly, especially in church. But this, I mean, you know, temptation, you know, this desire gives birth to a very ugly baby called sin. Okay? So it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Why is it important for you to understand both the source and the course uh, of temptation. Um, I could speak to you from the Bible, and I will. David, Bathsheba. Do you know what happened as a result of David's adultery with Bathsheba? David ends up murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He takes Bathsheba as his own wife, The baby conceived outside of wedlock dies. Very painful. But the pain in David's life doesn't end there. It it continues with the rape of Tamar by Amnon. The rape of his daughter by one of his sons. And then the murder of Amnon by another one of his sons, Absalom, who was the brother of Tamar. And then ultimately Absalom trying to overthrow uh, the kingdom, trying to kill David, sending him running. His sin, his compromise led to a lifetime of pain. By the way, that's what sin does. It just leads to a lifetime of pain. Sometimes in the moment, all we can see in our temptation is remember Eve. We see that it's good. We see that it's pleasing to the eye. We see that it's desirable. But what we don't see is the real course of our temptation. Let me give you, and I'm going to be raw. Can I be raw with y'all? I want to be real, all right? Uh, I, I, I just despise this way of doing church where everything's prim and proper and we don't get real about the ugliness of what sin can sometimes look like in our lives. As a young person, I'd gone through some serious, uh, very, very serious bullying, all right? I wanted to end my life. At age 13, I wanted to end my life. I sat with a large knife under my sternum, thinking if I drove it hard enough and fast enough, I might be able to reach my heart. I wanted to die. If I had access to a gun, I think I would have shot and killed myself. Um, It was because of the shame I felt, the loneliness I felt from being bullied day after day for three years. Um, fast forward a couple of years later, all right? Still struggling. Struggling with fear, struggling with anxiety, struggling with self-deprecation, struggling with anger, hatred, violence in my heart, wanting to kill people who had hurt me. Um, I went to a Sticks concert. Anybody ever seen Sticks in concert before? All right. There's a couple of us who are blessed, all right? I remember at that Sticks concert, it was awesome. It was at Barton Coliseum in Little Rock. It was an awesome concert. It was the first time I ever watched someone smoke pot, okay? Within a couple of weeks, I was introduced to my first joint, smoked a doobie, and uh, no real, no effect on me. 
following Friday evening, I was out with some buddies of mine. And uh, we started smoking. A couple of doobies passed them around the car. I had one of the most awesome highs I've ever had. I felt in elation. I actually felt like good with myself, with other people. It was the first time I had felt good about myself with other people in a very, very long time. For me, in that moment, every day after that, I had I had to have a doobie. I know a lot of people say marijuana is not a bad thing and stuff like that. I can tell you, for me, marijuana was a very, very bad thing. I smoked every day. Just couldn't go without it. Could not feel good about myself unless I was high. Um, you know, a lot of... Um, but deep down, there was still the loneliness. Deep down, there was still the emptiness. Deep down, there was still the fear, the pain. See, it, it numbed those feelings, but it didn't heal those feelings. Um, at 16, I went to a conference with a buddy of mine. And I saw these young people who had a sense of hope and peace and community and friendship that I longed for. And they had it in the person of Jesus. And while I was at that conference, I made this decision. I said, God, I have made a mess out of my life. If you, I, I just, if you can change me, I ask you to do that. I ask you to come into my life, forgive my sins, make me the kind of person you want me to be. It was a powerful, life-changing encounter for me. I never smoked a doobie again after that. Never did. Smoked a joint again after that. I remember um, I opened up my Bible and began to read my Bible. And it was like all of a sudden the Bible became alive to me. But I think in reality it was me who became alive to the Bible. Um, I went home. I went home and I knew the first thing I had to do is I had to go down to my buddy's house. His name was Bud. I knew I had to tell Bud because we used to smoke a lot of weed together. I said, I, I, I knew I had to go to, to, to Bud. I knew I had to tell him, you know, I'm done. I'm never going to smoke another joint. I'm not. And the reason why is because I made a commitment to Jesus. And I was going to tell Bud, Bud, you need to make the same commitment. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. Because your life has no hope without Jesus. And so I was going to go straight from my business into his business. By the way, we did have that conversation. He did commit his life to Christ. And several of my other friends did the same thing. Um, but I remember when I went to Bud's, I wasn't greeted by Bud. I was greeted by his older sister, who was very attractive. Very, very attractive. No one was home but her. And I was... Um, and she invited me. She was talking with me about some stuff, very sexual, very seductive. And she invited me to come in. I knew if I walked through the door, I was going to have sex with her. I knew that was what was going to happen. And I knew that if I had sex with her, I knew that I was going to start smoking again. And I knew, I knew, we talked about the source, the course of temptation. I knew the course. As a 16-year-old, I knew the course. I knew what was at stake. I knew that if I walked through that door, I was going to have sex with her. 
I was going to start smoking dope again. And I knew where my life would be. I knew that one day I would be dead. I would be in a gutter or I'd be in prison. But I knew I wouldn't be following Jesus. I knew that. I knew the course. When Satan introduces us to temptation, he loves to get us to deceive ourselves. That's why point three, this is hugely important. I apologize, I'm going along. Don't be willfully deceived by the bad, by temptation. See, the problem we have is we are willfully deceived. We are willfully deceived. The, the, what, what, what the Bible says here in, in, in verse 16, don't be deceived. That, the, that, that, that verb deceived is in the passive voice. And what it means is this. It's not just someone, you know, deceives you. It's that you are Allowing yourself to be a part of the deception. This is exactly what happens in, in, in the book of Genesis with, 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 with Eve. Is she becomes a willing uh, partner in the deception. She, she listens to Satan. She listens to the serpent. She listens to the deceiver. She listens to the tempter. He says, oh, you're not really going to die. He's denying the course of temptation. You're not really going to die. In fact, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. See, the reason people struggle with temptation is because we don't trust God. We don't trust His goodness. And we deceive ourselves. We become willing parties in the deception. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable. She becomes a willing partner in it. See, this is what happens with temptation. If we don't understand the source, if we don't understand the course, we become willing partners in the deception. We deceive ourselves. I apologize. I know I'm going long. I, I, I really struggled with this mess. Last night I had no message. I mean, I had a message. I had the Bible. I had no idea how to present this. But, so I'm going along, and I know I am, and I apologize. The fourth point is, I just think it's so important, is you need to, how do we deal, how do we cope with temptation? It's this. We learn how to enjoy and live out the good things that God gives to those who are born again, who are, under, who are uh, the first and best part of his creation. Why do I say that? Verse 17 and 18. See, don't be deceived. Verse 16 says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Uh, Verse 17, every good and perfect gift. See, temptation does not come from above. Temptation does not come from God. God does not tempt anyone. So don't say that. Every, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. See, temptation doesn't come from God, but every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, the one who created the sun, moon, and stars back in Genesis chapter 1. 
every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, as the day progresses from morning to evening, you see the shadows. First long, then short, then long again. God's not like the shadows. The shadows are ever-changing. The sun is never changing. God who made the sun is even more unchanging. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadow. He chose to give birth through the word of truth. This birth here I don't think is the first birth. I think it's the second birth when you are born again. When you put your hope, your faith in Jesus. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. The word of truth here could be understood as the gospel or could be understood as uh, the entirety of Scripture. Okay? Either way, it comes to us from God, and it is true. And it is the word of God. It is not the word of men. This book of James is not the word of a man. It is the word of God. Every single letter of it. It's the word of God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth the gospel, the word of God, that we might be a kind of first fruits, meaning the first and the best of all that God has made, of all he, God, created. The way to, I believe, resist temptation begins with, well, it begins with refusing to believe the lie that temptation comes from God. The way to resist temptation begins with understanding its source. It is my epithemia, my evil desire. Comes from within, doesn't come from above. And then understanding the course of my epithemia, my temptation. The desire conceives, gives birth to sin. Sin, full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived. I, and, then, and then finally, I think the way to combat temptation is by dwelling on the good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God who chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. Of all he created. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to pray for us. God, you are great, you are awesome, and you are good. This word, the Bible, is your word. This is not the word of men. This is the, your word. It is infallible at every point. Uh, and, Lord, what we want is we want to humbly receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. God, we do not want to deceive ourselves about our sin. And we do not want our lives to end in death. We want our lives to end in life. The life that comes from the new birth that we can have in Jesus. Lord, I pray for anybody here today who doesn't yet know Jesus, that this will be the day that they put their hope, their faith in Jesus, and that they will be saved. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Second, the uh, the cocoa crispy thing. I uh, can't. If it's in our home, I don't. Uh, it, it's not there very long. So 
I get it. You know, right now we have, uh, before we have our, our closing uh, worship song, we have the opportunity and the privilege of worshiping God with our giving. Uh, we give, uh, we, we believe it's an act of worship because it honors God and it glorifies Him. And as we partner with God in ministry and as we trust Him for our provision, we experience His faithfulness and provision like we never have before. And so uh, let's, let's do that right now. And there are five different ways you can do that. First of all, of course, as always, you can visit our uh, website at solanavalley.org forward slash giving. You can tap the give button on our SVC app as well. You can also send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield 94534. And you can also text the word GIVE to 707-883-3019. And if you do that, it'll uh, respond to you and, and walk you through the steps of giving and uh, of setting that up. And then if you're here in person, of course, you can always uh, place your offering in the silver mail slot that's in the wall behind the sound booth as well. So thank you so much for your partnership and for your generosity. We are very grateful and we appreciate you uh, making eternal investments in the kingdom of God. And a couple of uh, things before we go, I want to invite you to stand. Uh, so a reminder that uh, every Wednesday at four, Gary and I are at uh, Journey Coffee on Chadbourne Road for coffee with a pastor. We'd be honored to have you join us if you can to talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. And um, it's always a, a, a great atmosphere, and the coffee is fantastic, and so we'd love to have you join us if you can. And then finally, as Gary mentioned earlier, our picnic in the park is uh, this coming Friday at Laurel Creek Park from 5.30 to 7. So I invite you uh, to make plans to join us for that, and just so that we can just have a great time just kind of connecting and enjoying one another's uh, company, uh, feel free to bring a picnic lunch or, or stop by somewhere and uh, pick something up and and we'll uh, we'll just hang out together. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So let's go ahead and do our closing song here and I so appreciate y'all being with us today. Your love awakens me.
Take care.